Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mitty's Witties. Today, we are going to take on the story of Noah. I cannot tell you how excited I am to share with you the story of Noah. The story of Noah and me studying it, I guess, is special to me because it was the very first time that I had questions and I didn't have the two people in my life that I always went to to answer those questions, um, my pap and my friend Eugene. Uh, my pap and Eugene passed away, and that's hard enough, but when they are your the, pers- the people that you go to for spiritual guidance, that's a, an extra hit on you as a whole. Um, I've gotten through some pretty tough things. Losing the two of them has been really, really tough. But my, my husband and I took a trip to Kentucky. I did a ride and drive in a NASCAR, um, vehicle, um, as part of a a gift from my family. And it was awesome. And while we were there, we were pretty close to the ark that was built in Kentucky. So on our way home, we stopped at the ark. And let me tell you, if you ever get the opportunity to go, you should really, really go. Words cannot describe how awesome it is and how much you can learn there and just seeing it and being in it and visualizing what you grew up hearing in the stories that you could never really understand how many animals could fit on there. They can fit and it is huge. Um, But until you can visualize that, I don't know about you, but I can read something and read something and read, read something. But if I visualize it, I can learn it on a much deeper level. But when we walked into the ark, um, one of the first things that we noticed (laughs) were that they had dinosaurs in that ark in Kentucky. And I had never seen that in any book that I've ever read. And it completely caught me off guard. I wasn't saying that it wasn't accurate. I was just completely baffled because nobody had ever mentioned dinosaurs being on the ark to me. I had never seen any pictures with dinosaurs being on the ark. And so I came back questioning that. And I asked our current pastor, you know, what his thoughts were on it. And I told him I would typically would come home and I would have went to my pap and I would have went to Eugene. But Obviously, they're not here anymore. They are, they're doing, they're in a much better place than we are. So happy for them, sad for us. But I don't have them to bounce something off of. And so he said to me, well, Missy, if they wouldn't have known the answer to that, what would they have had to do? And I said, well, I figured they would have had to look it up. And he said, well, I guess you have your answer. I'm not going to just give you your answer. You're, you need to dig for yourself. And, um, and if you have questions along the way, I, I will surely help you. But we have, to, we have to sort of teach you to study. So that is that I instantly had the desire to dig in for myself and see what I could find. And that question will be answered in another episode. Um, hopefully next week. But the story starts obviously in Genesis. And in Genesis, we have the story of Noah. And so I think that's why Genesis to me is one of my favorite books, because I, it's the, the book that made me realize that I needed to dig in myself. And so I guess in a way, Genesis will always be very special to me. So the story of Noah, we are going to discuss the most obvious parts of the story, of course, But a lot of the story of Noah is not usually focused on, and we are going to try to focus on those parts too. Sometimes we go into a story and just hit the highlights because that's the easiest part to talk about. And plus, we are very familiar with those parts of the story. 
But in doing that, sometimes we miss some important information too. Now, in my journey of um, Genesis and studying Noah and then studying again so that I could bring this podcast to you, of course, my sources include the Bible. Um, I also used a commentary, Genesis, God, Creation, and Destruction by Dennis Prager. I listened to a few sermons available on Noah from all over the country, even one from one of my favorite places, Charlotte, North Carolina, and many podcasts that took on Noah. And I just put them all together, and then I added my own thoughts, my own ideas, and here we go. Noah was named by his father. The name Noah in Hebrew means to comfort. His father named him in hopes that he would be the one to bring relief from the pain of the curse that they were seeing during those times. There were a lot of wicked people, and basically it was a free-for-all, and they just did whatever they wanted. It was not pleasant. I sort of picture the scenes we saw over this last year in some of the cities like Portland, Oregon, and a few other places that Antifa rioted. And that's what I envisioned those times to, you know, to be like based on the, the accounts that are provided for us, just sort of a free for all. So in Noah's dad name, naming him, it was in hopes that Noah would be the relief from the curse that they were experiencing in those times. In that time, there were only a few believers, and Noah was who God chose to carry out this mission. So we need to realize that Noah was highly outnumbered by evil. I'm sure he was made fun of. It was not easy to live by faith, sight unseen, and do as he was directed. Noah was called righteous and faithful. He was a righteous and faithful man. He was also referred to as blameless. He was blameless in the eyes of the Lord. The word is important because it doesn't say that he was perfect or free from mistakes and sin. Quite the opposite. Noah was a broken man, just like we are broken, and God used him anyway. I don't know about you, but I'm broken. Some days I'm broken more than others, and that's, that's okay. He will use us anyway. He did not have any big fancy names or titles, and he did not necessarily have the skills to do what he was being asked to do, but Noah did it anyway, and God provided. He seemed to be a pretty fierce, strong-willed person that could and would face the criticism, the being made fun of, and the harshness of it all, and do it faithfully. Wow. To realize what we whine about today, I'm not sure we even realize how good we have it. I mean, sometimes I whine if I have to stand in line too long at the grocery store. (laughs) So uh, we do really have it really good. Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. I would like to encourage you to read through Genesis. I'm going to pull out some verses, but it's always good to read through it for yourself too. Each one of us can get a little more out of it when we do that. Genesis 6.11, the earth was corrupt in the eyes of God and was filled with violence. There was not a good balance of good versus evil, and God was going to step in. So God tells Noah to build an ark. Now. Keep in mind that in these days, we do not think they saw rain. And if they did, it would not have been to the point that you would need a boat the size that Noah was preparing to build. So him being told to build this ark was kind of a crazy idea. People thought it was hilarious and a waste of time. The people in that day were witness to. They had plenty of opportunity to turn from their wicked ways just like we have the opportunity to do that today. But they did not heed any of the warnings from Noah or his family. So God tells Noah to build this ark, and he gave him very specific instructions. 
it was to be made of gopher wood. It would be 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits, about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. So to put that into perspective, it was about a football field and a half long, about half the width of the football field wide, and about four and a half stories high. So a four to five story office building high. It was to be covered in pitch to seal. It was to have a window. There would be three decks and, of course, a door. He was told for him, his wife, sons, his son's wives, two of every kind, male and female, of animal would be on the ark. He was told to take food that is edible for his family and the animals, and he was given a second set of instructions dealing with clean and unclean animals. And although there is limited information on this, Noah understood. Noah made all of the instructed preparations, and when told, they got on the ark. Noah obeyed. We will talk more about this later, but something I did not realize when studying this was that the animals came to him. He did not have to gather them, wrestle them, etc. I think that, I, I just think about when I'm trying to get Keelan to do what I want him to do, our German Shepherd. The girls and I did a photo shoot during, after his, on his first birthday or around his first birthday. And we took him over to the park. We had a birthday hat. He had a birthday cake. And us trying to get him to do what we wanted in those pictures, we were all exhausted. He does not, he would not cooperate. Um, and so it's just amazing to me that when I think about this, it, the animals came to him. So God made the proper, he, God told him what to do. He made all of the preparations and then the animals came to him and they got on the ark. Well, now we are going to get into the timeline of this. It was the 600th year of Noah's life, second month and 17th day, and the windows of heaven opened up and rain began to fall and water from the underground rose up. This went on for 40 days and 40 nights. It went on until all of the creatures in whose nostrils was the breath of life died and only those on the ark survived. Water stayed on the earth for 150 days. God then switched his focus on the ark and the wind began and the subsiding and drying process began. In Genesis 8, 4, in the seventh month, 17th day, now five months to the day of the raining starting, and at about 150 days in, the ark rested on top of Mount Ararat. Tenth month and first day, 73 days after, you can now see the top of the mountain, and it's visible to the eye. To this point, the ark was just caught, but now you are starting to be able to see the ark sitting, just sitting up there. 223 days, they've been on the water at this point. Noah then waits 40 days and opens the window and sends out the raven. Seven days later, he sends out the dove that came back empty beaked. Seven days later, he sends the dove out again and it returns with the olive leaf. And seven days later, he sends out the dove again and it does not return. We are 284 days in at this point. He waits about 30 days. It says the 601st year, first month and first day of Noah's life, the water the water's dried up. Second month, 22nd day, 57 days after the earth is dry, God commands that they leave the ark. They were on the ark for 371 days. The last 57 days, the cover was off, but over 300 days, they were completely sealed in. 
cannot imagine being cooped up in there. Let's just think about this for a bit. The animals had to be fed and watered, which would take hours even when working together. If animals got sick, they had to tend to them. They had to keep everyone on there, in there in the best health possible because if, if one species of animals didn't make it, then that animal would no longer be on Earth. They had to clean the stalls. They had to keep an eye on supplies and perfectly measure out food so that they could all eat the entire time. They had to get sleep, of course. I'm sure that they were missing the people they used to know, and that had to have been difficult to know that they could not convince them to turn from their ways and be with them. I'm imagining that during this time, some of these animals may have become pregnant, and maybe they were delivering babies. This was no easy task. Also, I imagine that there was bickering and such, because even family, well, especially family, they each had their own personalities, and I'm sure they were annoyed at times, tired most of the time, grumpy. Even if they did get sick, all of this stuff still had to be done. That's not easy in any circumstance. In my family, we have meltdowns. <laughs> That's what we call them. And I can only imagine that there were plenty of meltdowns on this ark, but they pressed on. For the first time in 1,656 years of the earth, they had water falling from the sky and the canopy of water that was gathered around the earth that was gathered above in creation seemed to have been broken up. So it rained. So we focus on the 40 days and 40 nights. But that's only part of the story. There was also an upheaving of water that came up from underground, too. It created a catastrophic event. The world was turned inside out. So when they did finally get off the boat, I'm sure it was a relief in a lot of ways. But to realize that everything they knew was gone. Everything they knew outside of that boat was just gone gone. The landscape changed. It was kind of a do-over, but imagine the grief that they must have felt. I know that the loss of my pap and my one brother-in-law, Boone, and my friend Eugene honestly nearly did me in, and the grief is still really tough to deal with to this day. And it, Taylor and I were just talking about it the other day, I mean, this year makes five years with Eugene alone. And in this last week, I have cried a few times missing missing them. I cannot imagine that just like that, everything is gone. Your home, everything that you knew, everyone that you knew, you are starting over from scratch. I mean, I have fallen and had to get back up and pick myself up and keep going. But this is a whole new, different level of starting over from scratch. They got off the ark and Noah built an altar and took every clean animal and clean bird and offered burnt offering on the altar. It says that the Lord smelled the, smoothing, the soothing aroma and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from its youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Well, I mean, I can tell you, I I like seed time and harvest because I like spring and fall. I could really live without a whole lot of cold. <laughs> um, you know, winter's not my favorite, but, you know, <laughs> I'm glad that we have all of them, even though some of them I, I don't really care for. But God did all of the destruction on of earth in judgment because of man's stubborn determination to live out their own sense of good and evil, independent of God. 
He poured out his wrath, and now Noah's sacrifice is soothing to him. So let's dig in uh, to the word soothing to him. It it just it I I just can't imagine that God would be soothed by the smell of meat cooking. I mean, I guess if you're hungry, I, I like um, the show alone. And I can tell you that those people are very hungry after a very long time. And when they do finally catch something and they're cooking it, it the, the pure joy. I mean, yeah, in that kind of situation where you're hungry, I could see where the smell of meat would be soothing. But it just doesn't seem like soothing would be the, the word that would fit here. I mean, if you're going to try to soothe me, maybe I would prefer lavender or something. I don't know. But I don't think that's what is meant. So when we dig a little deeper, soothing in Hebrew can mean healing, composure, and remedy. So the word soothing in the Old Testament is used in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers with burnt offering. And they were a soothing aroma to God. But in Hebrews 10, it stated that these sacrifices can't take sin, take away sin. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. They were making these these offerings year after year, and they can't make the one offering them perfect. So in this context, Christ had, had to come. And he would be that perfect sacrifice that could take away the sins. So if we use the Hebrew, the smell of burnt offerings remedied for God. It healed the pain of the evil that was on the earth. And he vowed to never destroy the earth in this way again. Paul in Romans 4.25, his his crucifixion was the turning away of God's wrath through sacrifice. In Christ's death, God's wrath is appeased, soothed, and satisfied. It was remedied. And so as those Old Testament um, sacrifices look forward, anticipate the death of Christ, they are likewise soothing to God and soothing of his wrath on mankind. So to take it back to Noah's time, in his righteous judgment of mankind for their sin in the flood, Noah, whose dad named him, hoping he would be the one to bring relief from the curse, is who represents relief from the curse. He offered burnt offerings, which were soothing to God. These offerings were looking forward to the death of Christ, which will bring ultimate satisfaction of God's wrath. So we'll read that again, where God said, when he smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So he smelled the soothing aroma. He resolved himself not to treat the ground with contempt because of what man has done and not destroy every living thing as I've done. So now let's dig into man's heart is evil from his youth. He was saying he will never do this again because of the intent of man's heart is evil from youth. So this is how man will act. So if I'm going to destroy the ground because of the fact of that fact, then we will go through this cycle a lot. And obviously that would be bad. There are different translations of Hebrew And one says he will never do this again because man's heart is evil from his youth. And the other is that he will never do this again, even though man's heart is evil from his youth. And really, the effect either way is that God resolved never to do it again. He he wouldn't despise the ground and destroy every living thing, even in face of reality that man is inherently evil. Either way you use, because of, or even though, it is the recognition that because of man's nature, 
he is rightfully doomed. The judgment in the flood was righteous. He did not make a mistake. It wasn't that he was giving up. It's that it's impossible to redeem or restore man based on merit. And he resolved just not to use this form of judgment as long as the earth remains. This resolve was made. And because of that soothing aroma that comes from Noah's sacrifice. By this time in the Bible, there were sat three sacrifices. The first time was in the time of Eve when God produced garments from animals that covered their shame. And then the second time was when Abel offered a burnt offering. God looked kindly on him and Cain refused to give an offering and God did not look kindly on him. And the third was Noah's. They all look forward to Christ. The resolution not to destroy man while earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. He will not interrupt the cycle because of the sacrifice and soothing aromas. How can we reorient how we approach life using this portion of the story? What can we take away? The reality of the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. In the story, evil is the desire of man to have things his own way, to decide for himself what is good and what is evil. Do you not want to hear from anyone else what is right or wrong? This leads the natural man to seek to do it his way and reject anyone that doesn't line up to his way. And he will do whatever he can to get his way. And that includes up to and including violence and not care who they hurt in the process. And we actually see that today as well. It leads the natural man to hate anyone like Noah whose submission or alignment or submission to God. We do see this a lot right now as well. Christians are not looked upon kindly sometimes. And the, the big word now is canceled. You get canceled because of your thoughts. If you are a Christian conservative in Hollywood, yikes. We are looked at with a microscope too. It's okay if they make mistakes, but buddy, they will be all over a Christian if they make mistakes. This is where we all begin. This is the natural condition of man. So this is where we start looking at ourselves and examining ourselves, or that's at least what we should be doing. We want what we want, <laughs> and we want things our way, and we get upset. And we do things, whatever we can, to try to get our way. What we do at this point is deserving of God's judgment. And where God does also extend his grace. The solution for the natural man, us, is to first recognize the evil in ourselves. And two, repent of that and strive to walk in step with God. It's also very important to realize that no matter how hard we try, we will in some way, shape, or form fail at this a lot. We will always have that natural man in us. We just have to strive to walk in step with him and really pick ourselves back up as many times as we fall and keep on striving. Coming to grip with the fact that we too are evil gives humility and a gratitude towards God. We aren't with him because we've done something amazing. Quite the opposite. We are with him because of his grace, his provision, and because of a sacrifice made that took care of our evil. We're with him because he's amazing, not because of anything we've done. How do we see others? especially others that aren't in a place where we are yet or we think aren't there yet. Well, we should be motivated to have compassion 
and gentleness, recognizing we are all natural man being transformed into something else. The natural consequence is that the world will be filled with evil and competition. We see that today. It was expected that things would head back to what it was before the flood. He knew that, so we surely shouldn't be surprised. His judgment in the flood is a righteous expression of his wrath. It was not a mistake. There was nothing wrong there. And it's only God's resolve not to repeat this event that keeps it from happening again. And that is his grace. He decided for himself not to vent his wrath. That was soothed through the sacrifice of his son. It was Noah's walk with God that made him righteous and blameless in his day that carried him safely through. Just as Noah, we can be aligned with God and place our faith and hope in the one that can defeat the enemy and be carried through just as Noah was. Death is something that all natural man will experience. To kind of simplify that a little bit, Noah was the representative. He offered a sacrifice. That sacrifice appeased God, and we can all benefit from that. And believe it or not, it's not the end of Noah's story. There are still significant developments made in his story. So we'll try to get back on track. I'm pretty good at getting off track. So his family gets off of the ark. The sacrifice is made. God was soothed. God gave grace. And that grace is now what we live under. In Genesis 9, he makes a covenant with Noah. He told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He blesses them. And he, at this point, gives them dominion over the animals. The fear of you, the terror of you, will be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the flesh of the sea. Into your hand they are given. And we will dig into that passage a little more on our next journey. But the thing I want to pull out of that passage for now is that I kind of take this to mean that up until this point, animals and humans were previously unaffected by one another. And that's probably how they were able to just come to the ark and get right on. The humans weren't afraid of the animals, and the animals weren't afraid of the humans. They were all just kind of chill with each other, as the kids would say. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I have given the green plant. So, at this point, they couldn't eat anything. Just anything. The only exception, yeah, at this point, they could eat anything. Um, the only exception was that the blood of the animals was not to be eaten. None of the descriptions of this I read, and not that I am anyone special, but I, I agree with the people that, I listen to, and I, I, I do not take this to mean that you cannot eat your steak rare, although I am not a rare steak-eating person, but I don't think that's what they are talking about. That is meat, and the blood is from how you cook it or do not cook it. I believe that this is more of, a, of how to process the meat when you are butchering it. The point is that the blood contains the life, and so to spill the blood is to spill out that being's life. He was also now specific that the act of spilling out the blood of another man, by man, his blood shall be shed. The distinction between the two was because man is made in the image of God and man's blood is sacred. Even with his natural evil, so murder is an attack on God. If we spill the blood of another, our blood will be taken as payment. This is where the death penalty discussion comes in, and we're not going to get into that today, but that, that is where the, 
the discussion comes in is this section here. This was another development, another change post-flood. Cain killed Abel and God protected him. Lamech bragged about killing a man for wounding him and a boy for striking him, and there were no consequences. We have progressed forward. In the time of Noah, the evil and corruption was out of control. The spilling of blood was becoming common, and the ground was corrupted. The flood happened, and we now get this development. He has given man responsibility. One, to avenge any murder of man. Two, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with life. And three, he's given dominion over animals. But he makes specific the point that the blood is sacred. Man has increased responsibility, but God's commitment is not contingent on man keeping those. It is unconditional. He committed never to destroy the earth again by flood. He gave the rainbow as a reminder of this promise. He doesn't say there won't be further judgment, but it won't be by flood. The rainbow is a sign of unconditional love and promise. Now, Sam, Ham, and Japheth now come into the story a little more. In Genesis 9.18, we see that the earth began populating. In Genesis 9.20, the English Standard Version states that Noah was a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. In the King James Version, it uses the word husbandman. And in Hebrew, that means to dig or plow. So Noah became a farmer. It's pretty brief. We are basically told that he had a vineyard and he ended up getting drunk and he uncovered himself in his tent. There are a few opinions on his guilt and how bad this is. I don't know. It is definitely not specific. This is the first mention of drunkenness in the Bible. Here at this point, what we know is he drank too much. He's vulnerable. He's not in a good place because of the choices he made. His youngest son, Ham, found him and looked at him and told his two brothers that he was naked and drunk. But the two brothers, after Ham told them, very carefully took a garment on their shoulders and walked backwards to cover him up and their faces were turned. They were very careful in how they treated their father, even though he had clearly made a mistake. Ham, he was aware of his dad's nakedness and shame, and he tells his brothers, so he exposes his dad's shame and dishonors his father's act. Seems kind of petty to, to me, but it was significant then. Unlike Ham, Shem and Japheth are careful to cover, cover, to protect their father's honor and not only to cover his shame, but not to even look on it themselves. Remember, Noah is not just anyone. Noah represents the promised seed and the release of the curse. Noah is seen to be blameless in the eyes of God. Not sinless, but blameless. He is special. And they put a lot of emphasis on the seed and the genealogy. And I know some of those verses can get loud and or loud can get long and confusing. But he represents the promised seed and the release of the curse. So he's special. So when Ham treated him with dishonor, he dishonored the promised seed. Well, Noah sobers up. And somehow he knows what Ham has done. And be completely upfront, this part makes no sense to me. It doesn't fit together with me because I cannot imagine doing this to my children. But 
he pronounced a cursing and a blessing on his seed based on their responses to his situation. Ham's youngest son, Canaan, was cursed because of his actions. At this point, like I said, there's a lot of emphasis on the seed and the descendants, so it's confusing to us, but it was significant. Canaan, where the land of the Canaanites, Ham was to be the father of them, the one from whom characteristics come. So Ham was the source of the characteristics that are manifested in the people of Canaan and the people of the land that God is going to give to Israel. So this is all preparing us to understand as the story develops to get a glimpse. In Leviticus 18, when instructions are given to Moses, God tells Moses not to do as they've done in Egypt where he lived. And do not do as what is done in the land of Canaan where you are going. And he gave a list of what was happening in the land of Canaan by saying, one, don't approach a blood relative to uncover their nakedness. Two, don't uncover the nakedness of your stepsister. And it goes into this crazy, crazy list of like, not your stepsister and not your brother's wife and not stuff that you would think would be common sense. It's a crazy, crazy mess that was described. But the Canaanites were nasty. The family drama <laughs> um, compared to, I mean, my, fam our, my family on both sides has our share of family drama. I cannot express that to you enough. It is just ridiculous. But in reading Genesis and studying Genesis, I'm here to tell you, no matter how bad your family drama is, compared to the family drama back in that day, it isn't so bad. Noah put this curse on Canaan. Ham was enslaved to his brothers. Noah is a human with no powers, but he desires to anticipate what God is going to do. So Sham, Shem gets blessed by Noah. The blessing indicates that good will continue through Shem with God's closeness to him. Shem will experience the blessing of God who is blessed and that Canaan will be his servant. Noah blesses Japheth. His desire is for Japheth to be enlarged and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. If Shem is blessed, then through that association, Japheth will also be blessed. It goes into how the three sons spread out in the earth. The descendants of Shem and Japheth work together, not against all of Ham's descendants, descendants but against Canaanites but they won't ultimately defeat them the last thing we are told is that Noah lived 350 years after the flood he was 950 years old when he died I think back to the wisdom I've gained in my 45 years can't imagine the wisdom and the, the knowledge that Noah gained over 950 years of life. Noah represents the hope in the one who will bring relief from the pain. His dad hoped it would be him. Now we know he died, so it wasn't him, but he was the placeholder. He was the representative. It was through Noah's sacrifice that God's grace is expressed. His wrath was appeased. Since the flood, the story continues of God's grace and his covenant with all creatures signified by the rainbow. Our existence today is by the grace of God. Man is evil from our youth. 
every one of us wants our own way. We have to make that recognition before we can solve any problems we face in mankind. Regardless of how good or bad a person is, he is created in the image of God, and any attack on him is an attack on God. We have those same responsibilities. So the biggest takeaways take, take for me were that we, we see what Noah saw then, today. We see a lot of those same things. And sin affects everything, like a cancer. But we can be protected just like Noah was. The ark was a foreshadowing of what the end times may be. Noah had faith and he was spared, even with his sins, even with his faults. God shows grace. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Noah showed us an, an example of faith. We have faith. And God shows grace. Evil affects things and spreads. And sometimes we see evil so we can see it and choose God. We see and know evil and we do not want to do that. I always say that the behaviors and those who have done harm to you and your family are the perfect examples of what not to be. If someone does something that is harmful to you, Use it as an example of what not to do to others. For example, someone in your family is just greedy. I mean, it has eaten them to the point they are pure evil, and they can become violent. They have allowed personal possessions of someone else to overcome them to the point that they have physically assaulted someone. Take that and use it as a guide. Do not put value in things. Do not become someone that is so overtaken by hate of a person that you don't find value in them. No thing on this earth should devalue a human, no matter what. That is just one example. And on the flip side, if someone does something that means a lot to you in a time of need, use that and make sure that you are doing that same thing in the same way to someone in your life experiencing something similar. An example of that might be someone asks you how you're doing a few months after someone passes, when everyone else has kind of forgotten to check up on you. And it's something we all kind of do. We get busy, but that one person remembers and asks how you are. That means a lot. So from then on, Maybe we all get busy, I forget, it's terrible, but you set a reminder and you check in on someone in your life that has recently lost someone. Set it for a month out, three months out, six months out. We choose things because it is right and what is good. We can see it and choose good based on our own thoughts and we know what is best. It's through his grace that we trust, have faith in him like Noah did. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because God is love and life. We have to remember that God grieved the sin that was going on back in the days of the ark, and he grieves for ours now, too. God always provides a way for us to begin again. Yes, he grieves, but he provides a way back for us always by providing a way. We won't always understand God in his ways, but we can trust him. I am sure Noah didn't understand, but in trusting him, we can live today and have our opportunity to have a relationship with God. We can obey God even if the world thinks we're crazy. Think of the criticism that Noah must have gotten. People were flat out mean and cruel. But Noah obeyed. It's the same really today. We see how easily influenced we can be, how easy it is to fall into that trap of doom and gloom. Also, remember, we don't have to be preachy 
You can be shy and quiet, never quote a scripture, and still share God's word. Your actions can speak louder than any preacher can speak. We are living, breathing examples who are constantly watched. People saw Noah building the ark. They saw his actions. Remember, more is caught than is taught. Living in a kind, easy, forgiving, compassionate manner can really be a light in a very dark place. There is a Chris Tomlin song about being the moon. And it's a perfect example of this very thing. Be the light that lights up the darkness, spreading the light wherever you are. All things are possible with God. God is able to do far and above what we can even imagine. He will not ask anything of us that he cannot make happen. Our lives can either be characterized by trust in Jesus That trust allows us to be redeemed, or we fail his judgment. We have a choice to make. My pap couldn't make it for me. My friend Eugene couldn't make it for me. My current pastor can't make it for me. I have to choose it. The same as you have to choose it. Choose what is good. Choose what is right, no matter what any other human being thinks of it. It's really pretty simple. We make it difficult on ourselves. God is good. God is right. Choose what is good. Choose what is right. Especially when we think no one is watching. I am looking forward to the next episode, and I am looking forward to next week. Hopefully, I will get it done Monday or Tuesday, but next week when we dig a little deeper as to what was on the ark. I hope to have a current events episode somewhere around the end of the week. We will recap the week and and see what we come up with. Have a good week.